Welcome back to the Don't Knock It podcast, where we address misconceptions about Jesus' character, his church, and his word. By doing this, we hope to encourage you to delight in Christ before dismissing him, to know him before knocking him. I'm your host, Christian Mears, and to help us address the third installment of the hard sayings of Jesus, I am joined by some of my dearest friends. And we'll go through some introductions in a moment, but I am joined by my dearest friends to help us address what Jesus said in Matthew 10, verses 34 through 36, do not think that I have come to bring peace, but a sword. So I I want my uh, delightful friends to introduce themselves. Um, I am joined by three of them. And so we'll just kind of go around saying your name, how long you've been saved and what, and a brief summary on, on your faith background. If you were raised in the church, uh, if your family um, uh, is Christian or Catholic or whatever that may be, we'll start. We'll start with you. Hi, my name is Sarah. I have been saved for about eight months now, and I was raised in atheist family. Or yeah, like yeah, I guess atheists. They were pretty open, I guess, to us exploring, but definitely didn't believe in anything. And no one in my family at this point is a believer. So you're a lone wolf. I'm a lone wolf. I'm a black sheep. Okay. <laughs> Sweet. Thank you. Hi, my name is Dario, and I've been saved for just about three years now. And the background on my faith is that I got saved in sophomore year and started seeing things through a new perspective and lens and started questioning and um, got my answers and read straight from the Bible and been growing ever since and uh, it's been an awesome journey sweet hey i'm livia and um i've been saved for 13 years and um i was raised in a baptist church my family raised us with like going to church every sunday and um it was a very important part in our family so yeah there was never a youth group but um when i started going to one um, youth group in sophomore year is when I, and when I started reading the Bible all the way through for myself is when I really came to understand it for my own and not be relying on sermons and other things like that. So that's Mm -hmm. when my faith really took off. Yeah. And you just finished reading the Bible through, through and through, cover to cover? I did. How was that? Amazing. Would definitely recommend it. (laughs) <laughs> what did you finish with? Best book. What was the last one? Um, I, I finished with Malachi. Malachi. Yeah, so what so was all, the order that um, you went in? I, I read, um, like I was consecutively reading like Psalms over and over again. And then same thing with Proverbs. I'd read a Psalm and a Proverb a day. And then um, <clears throat> for a while I was reading two chapters of the Old Testament and a chapter of the New Testament as well, like all at the same time. Because I was trying to go through... Uh, the Bible in a year plan based on my my sister's Bible there was a little schedule in the back of the book Mm -hmm. but then it was just too much at one time for me to really like swallow so um I altered the schedule a little bit and started um because the schedule would have been you would have been able to finish the the New Testament twice in a year Psalms three times Proverbs I think just once and then the Old Testament once Mm -hmm. but I was like, oh, it's too much. So yeah. I, I eventually, I finished it after going through it for two years, mm-hmm. three years. Um, so it took me three years to go through the whole thing, but yeah. Sweet. All right. So before we get into today's text or tonight's text, um, I want to ask a question. If I were to ask you, what did Jesus come to do? What would you say? <clears throat> I've been saved for nine years, eight months, Sarah, eight months, Dario, three years, and Livia, you said 13? Yeah. Wow. Okay. So, so what's the, uh, what's the consensus? What did Jesus come to do? I think, um, from my understanding, Jesus came to fulfill his spot as a lamb. You know, in the Old Testament, they would always send out an animal to take the sins of the people and kind of be like um, the atonement and like they would cast their sins on it so that it wouldn't be with them anymore. 
kind of like a symbolization what God um, told him to do. And then he said, I'm going to send my son to kind of fulfill that and be the the human sacrifice for you guys who want to do that anymore. So I think Jesus came to fulfill his role in being our perfect sacrifice and at the same time teaching the gospel so people would believe and also to fulfill all the prophecies about him, you know, like um, like how people would talk about the Savior coming and he just shows up one day and is like, hey guys, I'm, I'm Jesus, that's me. And they're like, nah, get a load of this guy. Mm-hmm. You know, who's this man? But um, but those who actually followed and listened to his teachings and lined it up with um, scripture were able to see that he was telling the truth and that all of his teachings were biblical and lined up with kind of just everything pretty much. Mm-hmm. So fulfillment, atonement, uh, fulfilled his place as that sacrificial lamb. Um, I think like to add on to that, um, just the teacher that he was and how he came to teach us more about God and what God, the father really like wants for us and how we can live to like glorify him. Um, and he was like a teacher through example and to be able to look to Jesus's life as that example of what we should be striving for in our lives. Um, and yeah, just wanted to add that. Mm -hmm. It's good. Um, when I first heard this question, I thought of the verse where, um, I think he was addressing the, um, the Jews around him when he said, um, I did not come to, to rule and reign kind of, Mm -hmm but I came to seek and to save the lost. Yeah. And so that's what I really like, what I, the first thing that came to my mind was when I heard this question. And the more I thought about it, he sought out the people that the world didn't really care about. And he came to be a living representation and like actually emulate the father's character here on earth in a tangible and visual way where people could understand God in a whole new way mm-hmm. and his love because it was it was something that they had never really seen before mm-hmm. like reaching down that low from such a high place absolutely it's a, you did mention one of the scriptures that I have prepared for this like in many portions of the gospel Jesus explicitly says like hey this is what I came to do yeah reminding them what he actually did come for yep so one of them so a few examples John ten ten. Uh, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it and have life abundantly. So not only does he explicitly say, this is why I came. He also explains what the enemy came to do, steal, kill, and destroy. Another one I think, uh, Olivia, you were alluding, alluding to is Luke 19, 10, where Jesus says, for the son of man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. And then another one is... Uh, John eighteen thirty seven, where he's before Pilate and he says, therefore, or the John says, therefore, Pilate said to him, so you, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say correctly that I am a king for this. I have been born and for this, I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. So in many portions of the gospel, Jesus explicitly says, hey, this is, this is what I came to do. Um, but in the passage that we're going to be in today, Matthew 10, Jesus reveals something that he came not to do. And what he actually says appears to be something that both Christian communities and non-Christian communities would not even imagine could ever possibly come out of the Lord Jesus' mouth. And so we'll just, we'll read the whole passage. um, Verses 34 through 36 of Matthew 10. Jesus says, Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. So to kind of give some brief context, uh, chapter 9 ends with the need for laborers for God's harvest. Right. So it only be, it, So it only makes sense that chapter 10 begins with Jesus commissioning 
uh, his disciples, the laborers of that harvest. So in Matthew 10, Matthew records the names of Jesus' 12 primary disciples, later obviously uh, called apostles. Well, we refer to them as the apostles. Um, So we we see the names of the people that he's going to be dispatching, as well as his instructions for spreading that message, the message of the kingdom of heaven. So in short, chapter 10 contains essentially the marching orders for the apostles Jesus had called. Um, So you may ask the question, if these are marching orders for the apostles, how can they possibly apply to me? And so the, the answer to that is found in reminding ourselves that Jesus didn't just say, all right, here you go, disciples. Here you go. Here are your instructions. And they are your instructions only. Go and follow them or go and do them. We have to remind ourselves that he, that, that Jesus ties this to the reason he came to the world. So it wasn't just for, for the disciples or the apostles, but it was for us too. So it's important that we, play, that we pay close attention uh, to what those reasons were, right? And so to kind of dig a little bit into the text. So when, he, when Jesus says he did not come to bring peace, but a sword, if you consider other passages in the Bible, both Old and New Testament, the natural question is, that seems like a contradiction, right? Because when we think about some of our favorite passages, especially during Christmas time, we think of Luke 2, verse 14, where referring to the heavenly host singing, uh, Luke 2, 14 says, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. And then the more, more common one out of Isaiah, for a child is born unto us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And also the, the scripture where, um, where Jesus deliberately tells Peter to put down the sword in his hand mm-hmm. after he cuts this guy's ear off. He's like, Peter, put that sword down, you know? Yeah, he <laughs> says, he says uh, those who live by the sword will die by the sword. Yep. And then other passages that don't refer to Christmas, uh, John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives to, not as the world gives do I give to you, uh, do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful, and John 16, 33, where he says, these things I've spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. So... When I read this section, um, and he says like that he came to bring a sword, it makes me think of in Revelation when we are given like an image of Jesus, like in heaven, he has like a sword coming out of his mouth. And so when he says sword here, it doesn't make me think of like, like fighting and like death, but it makes me think of like the word of God. Um, and so maybe like the texture of like how we're coming to read this is maybe askew that like he's not coming here for like doom and gloom but he's coming here to bring the word of god Mm -hmm. Um, that's what i think of yeah and it reminds me of that verse in hebrews um very common verse uh, hebrews 4 verse 12 uh where the writer of hebrews says for the word of god is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So that's exactly what the scripture does to us, right? So it may not, it, it may seem askew, but Jesus himself says like, your, the enemy, your enemies will be those of your own household. So that's where it becomes a little bit like, wait, Jesus is literally promoting division within my own home. That seems, that seems kind of tough. So our goal for today is to highlight the purpose of why Jesus says this to the apostles and obviously, you know, by default to us as well. And so the the verse that I kind of want to focus on for a little bit here is verse 34, where he says, do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. So my next question is, what were the Jews expecting the Messiah would do? conquer the Romans who were basically um, oppressing mm-hmm. the, the Jews. They were completely in power and they were not 
doing it nicely to, yeah. <laughs> to say the least. And so <clears throat> looking forward, um, all these hundreds of years through the prophecies and, um, their time in captivity, they have this hope of the Messiah coming and overturning history for them. And so they're thinking this has got to be political because of how much oppression is happening politically, not, you know. Mm. Yeah, because that's what God did with Moses in Egypt, right? They heard the he heard the cries, and he 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 delivered them through miraculous means through the parting of the Red Sea and so on and so forth. So he's done it before. He didn't really send like a military leader, uh, but they they were expecting a political leader to destroy that Roman rule uh, and bring peace and bring peace to the Jewish nation. And then by default, bringing peace to the Jewish nation, then the nations around them would be blessed. Um, so this is kind of a general question, but what does a sword do? Oh, yeah, I guess a sword uh, pretty much just inflicts damage, whether it be for a good reason, like defense, or for a bad reason, trying to attack an innocent person. Mm-hmm. I think of the Wii game where you um, slice the fruit or the objects. And like so, Fruit Ninja? Yeah, kind of. <laughs> but, it, <laughs> <laughs> but it's... <laughs> It just I think of it just like completely making the the object that it is slicing unable to do anything else. Okay. It just so, bam. So it disables. Yeah, so it separates, causes division, and it also causes a lot of pain. A lot of damage and sometimes irreparable damage. And so if you think about like someone getting stabbed, like the reason why they it leads to a potential death is because you have separated what should be united right so on like with that in mind what should be united above all else is a household right and so with 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 that that analogy in mind jesus is complete like it, he describes it rightfully so like it is a sword he came to bring a sword and that's exactly um what jesus implies in in the next in the following verses in verses 35 through 36 where he says for i came to set a man against his father a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's enemies will be the members of his household so jesus said that this sword will divide households of families so obviously he's not referring physically he's not referring to the physical aspect of it because uh that would break obviously break the sixth commandment but the sword is a metaphor for the inevitable separation between those who believe in Christ and those who don't, even within a family. And Jesus himself experienced this firsthand. Um, Jesus' own family opposed him before they even came to recognize his own identity. So in Mark three twenty one, we read, When his own people heard of this, they went out to take custody of him, for they were saying, He has lost his senses. So just imagine you have the cure to your family's sickness, right? So you have this cure and your family, when you bring it to your family who is dying and they don't know it yet, you, you explain to them what it'll do, how you have this cure in your possession and they think you're crazy. Mm-hmm. Just imagine the pain that that would feel, the, the pain that you would feel knowing that your parents are calling you crazy out of your mind when all you're trying to do is rescue them. Like on a on an infinite level, this is the pain that Jesus felt uh, with his own family, with his own, as Mark 3 says. And then John 7, 5, it's a short verse, but it just says, for not even his brothers were believing in him. And if you recall in 1 Corinthians 15, where we refer to the creed of the great resurrection passage, one of the things that Paul writes is that he appeared to his brother James. Um, and that's actually like one of the, the core evidences of Jesus' resurrection, that his own family who didn't believe that he was who he says he was, uh, came to belief, it came to saving faith in him. So it's kind of like, uh, a source of evidence. <laughs> yeah, and then he wrote the book of James. Jesus asks, or not asks, but he commands unqualified allegiance. Something even the most esteemed rabbi did not demand. 
So Jesus was a rabbi, so he was a teacher. And so what they would do, this is where the language of discipleship comes from. They would literally follow around the, their rabbi trying to imitate their, that, that rabbi's life. And so even the rabbis, the most esteemed rabbis of that day, did not ask them to forsake their families because family was, was a much, much more of a, an important thing to them. So they, they didn't even go to that level. But Jesus says, well, he, I'm not saying that you're, Jesus essentially says like, your enemies are going are gonna to be those of your own household. So he, he basically takes it to the nth degree. Um, but the central point of this passage is that the love of God and his kingdom must take precedence over every other human relationship. I don't know if you, any of you have seen the movie, God's Not Dead. And uh, me and Carolyn actually just watched that a few a few days ago, and I, I remember I watched it within the year of getting saved, my freshman year of college, and I watching it a few days ago, I watched it with a whole nother perspective. If you if you remember, every single person, every single character in that film loses an intimate relationship because of their belief in Jesus. So the whole film is based off of this this student, uh, this freshman in college who is who enters into a philosophy class and the philosophy per- professor uh, makes, it's kind of corny, but it like has a wonderful premise to it. Uh, forces every student, before they can, before they can continue with the class, he forces every student to, to write on a piece of paper, God is dead. And so that allows them to pass their, their portion of the philosophy class where they focus on deism, on like theism. And, and one Christian refuses to do so because he feels convicted about it. And so uh, the professor challenges him to, to, for, for that student to lecture the last like 15 minutes of each class uh, to prove the existence of God. And so as he's doing that, you get little glimpses of different characters, different people that pop up in, in the movie of how God is influencing them and bringing them to faith. And then by doing so, and obviously each character comes from a different walk of life, but every character it loses a relationship because of their faith. So one like charismatic like woman businesswoman, uh, she, I think she's a journalist. Um, she gets diagnosed with cancer, and then in through that she has like this hotshot boyfriend who's like has it has his own law firm, and so she tells him like, "Hey, I have cancer," and he's like, "I don't have time for like I don't have time for that. Like you're you're ruining ruining our plans to be like entrepreneurs together or whatever." And then so she gets saved like at the end of the movie, but that's the, that's, that's where she loses that relationship. And so I say all that to say, like, the reason I mentioned that is because people who come to faith, when they're confronted with the God of the universe, two things happen. The first thing is you have to make a decision, right? A decision to follow Christ. And two a broken relationship. Those are two things that kind of happen on, um, I guess, uh, like across the board. You have to make a decision and you experience a broken relationship. Whether it's with family, a, a boyfriend or a girlfriend, or who you once were, you have to forsake a relationship. And so what Jesus hones in on here is that more often than not when you come to saving faith you those broken relationships will be those from your own household so just just picture this parents getting saved who were jewish embedded in this in this tradition that was hundreds thousands of years old they come to faith they believe that this jesus is the messiah and then the kids are like what like you've been raising us in a certain tradition for this whole time and now you're going to forsake all of it for this guy who claims he's God or claims he's the Messiah. And so now the parents have to, now they're at the beck and call of the children because the children are almost threatening to 
tell the authorities or tell the local synagogue leaders. And then on the flip side of that, just imagine the kids come to faith and they have to forsake their, their parents who have taught them and walked through them through this historic tradition. I mean, most of us don't even, don't have, like, if I'm not mistaken, like none of us have traditions, family traditions that are over even a hundred years old, let alone thousands. And so now Jesus comes on the scene and says, you, I came to bring a sword and your enemies will be those of your own household. Jesus himself uses divisive language. And, and I think the, the passage that, that really ministered to me, uh, knowing that is John 3 verses 19, 19 through 21. Those few verses after the famous like John three sixteen verse where Jesus says, this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. So Jesus himself says people literally hate Jesus, Christianity, and the Bible. Fear their own actions being exposed above everything else. Now they won't admit it. But that's what they fear the most is their their deeds what happens in the dark being exposed how scary is that like if we if we didn't know jesus if we didn't trust in him to have all of all of those deeds placed on the cross how scary would that be like my darkest my darkest moments are going to be exposed to the world my hypocrisy, my greed, my addictions, all of those things are going to be exposed, that I would avoid everything that would make that possible. I think now, like, in this culture, they've come to this place where they've convinced themselves that it just couldn't happen, so that they have, like, this actual pride of um, completely admitting it out in the open, the things that they do, that even, like, you know, 10 years ago, people would never admit, and they're just, they're now identifying with all kinds of things, and because they've come to believe that it just never could be, and never will, but yeah, that's like, yeah, it's like stepping over the fear, so that like, and they're just, yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that uh, no one in my family is saved. And so what you just, how you just explained that about like the fear of like having like essentially your sins being exposed and sins being like, just like how you're missing the mark. Right. Um, not like the murder and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes we kind of over exaggerate what sin is. Um, but that fear of having your sins be exposed really enlightened me to like where some of my family members are at. Um, and like, I swear sometimes I'm like, man, your eyes are like just shut so hard. Like it must hurt like to squeeze your eyes closed that hard. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and like, you know, sometimes they act or say, or like, it seems like believe in ways that I'm like, how are you missing this? Like, how do you not see it? And, and what you just explained makes me like, kind of think like, oh my gosh, like, you know, they probably do see it, but they're just so afraid of like allowing themselves to go there and what like that pain could be in their future or what like the loss of who they are is going to feel like. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's part of our walk. And like, like you said, we lose a relationship and one of those relationships is our old self. And that's like part of the journey. And it, can be tough but honestly like having gone through and still going through it like it is tough but I don't even think I would describe it as painful as much as like freeing um and I think I don't know I think for myself right now I feel convicted that like that's something that we should be sharing more with people who are stuck in that fear that like yeah it's not necessarily easy um but like the reward and the freedom from it is like so much better 
and then maybe the fear will kind of go away. Sorry for the little tangent, but that's where. Thank you for that enlightenment. Yeah, no, that's it's good. It reminds me of of how we need to focus, how we need to focus on how we minister to the, our loved ones, mm-hmm. and how we how we share the gospel, right? Because for someone who is deep down, obviously, like I said, like they they may not even come close to admitting that they are scared for scared of the things that they've done in the dark to be exposed. Uh, but just, uh, just think about how freeing it would be if we we're like, Hey, like no matter, no matter what, like Jesus was sent to die for you so that you wouldn't, you wouldn't experience the judgment that your evil dark deeds deserve, right? Just how, how freeing would it be, uh, knowing that and I think that's important to, to kind of take into consideration when we are around our family members who aren't saved. And it it reminds me of, I'll just give like a brief example of how I experienced this type of division in my own home with my family. Uh, When I first was saved, uh, I remember coming back, I think it was like for for summer break, and I wanted to get baptized. And like I said, I was raised Catholic, so I had already been baptized when I was like seven, seven, yeah, around seven. And so that Sunday came and I went straight to my mom because I knew it would be the toughest conversation with her. And I said like, hey, I am going to get baptized today. I would really like for you to be there. And it became this back and forth shouting match in the kitchen on why I was forsaking the family and why I was making a, like a really just unnecessary decision. And if like, if any of you are Hispanic, you know that this is like being Catholic is almost part of your family tradition. So if you forsake that in any type of way, not even just a blatant like, yeah, I converted. It's seen as you leaving the family because it's so ingrained, like it's so ingrained in every single step in your Catholic faith. Right when you're baptized, you have what's called padrinos. They're like godparents, and then when you do your first communion, you have another set of godparents, and then like it, you have a different set of family members immersed in your in your faith. And so, you know, on because of that, leaving it, it's almost like you're leaving the family because it's already ingrained into it. And so, in that, in the, in the, in my mom's kitchen, we were just going back and forth, and I was fresh, like I was. It, it was such a revelation to me because now I was experiencing the very things that Jesus said would happen. And that's what strengthened my faith the most because it became, it became reality. Like, oh, this isn't just wonderful wisdom to be taken out into the world. I'm actually like, I have to live it. And so I got really emotional and I, I ended up just going upstairs and crying. But as I was making my way upstairs, my dad and my brothers were in the living room. And so they heard everything. And as I was taking my, as I was going upstairs, my dad was like, Hey, Chris, like, what time is it? Like, we'll take you. And I was getting baptized in Ventura at the beach. And so I told them what time it was going to be at. And so they ended up coming and so my brothers, my dad, all of them went except for my mom. And it's interesting because my dad like referred back to that a few weeks ago that it's something that my mom like missed out on. And although that's like a super small example for me, uh it became reality that this is the division that Jesus was talking about. Obviously, I don't see my mom as like this vile wicked enemy but at the same time i i it hurt me because i knew that she didn't want to partake in this portion of my walk with me and so it's just something something that i had to get used to it makes me think about how the enemy comes um when once we're saved like he knows that he can't stop us but he tries to slow us down Mm -hmm. and like make us go off off course and I feel like our family members because we love them and we trust them 
and we have these fleshly bonds with them, the enemy can use our family to try and stumble us. And I just think about like how hard like that situation must have been for you and that it would be natural for you to have a temptation in that instance to be like, oh, you know, I just won't do it. You know, I don't want to upset my mom. I don't want to upset my family. So I just won't go get baptized. And Mm -hmm. that's exactly what the enemy is coming in to do. And so our family might not necessarily be wicked and vile and like, like the enemy, but can be our enemy in these instances when they come in to be a distraction or temptation or a stumbling block. Um, even though like they as an individual might not mean harm to us. Um, it's very harmful to like our spiritual health. Um, Mm -hmm. and yeah. Yeah. One thing that, that kind of, I was hung up on with this passage is just the idea of a family. Uh, if Jesus tells us that this will happen with our own families and our own homes, how do you think he thinks about how we address our friends? You know, people outside of our home. Like if, if he's, if he, if he says like, Hey, this is your, this is how it's going to be in your home from now on. If your if your family doesn't believe. So how, how serious is it? when we consider our friends how much easier should it be to you know to cut off cut off some friends who are being hindrances to our to our walk or coworkers or bosses as you go further and further or classmates or teammates whatever it may be how much easier if this is going on in my own home what should i expect from the world right and so jesus's language here is of his language of bringing division is directly tied to the work he accomplished in making peace possible, right? So the peace that he brought was between us and God. So the natural uh, question that follows that is, but what about Matthew 5, 9, where he says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And so just the idea of seeking unity with others outside of the faith what that should look like. So believers, us as believers, we have a unity of faith in Christ because we share one Lord, one faith, one baptism. But the same truth that unites us as believers separates them. So our unity is actually the very thing that separates us from the world. So it's kind of like a, a interesting paradox. Because um, one thing I was thinking about is how you were talking about how... Um, if it's one thing that should be united, it would be a family. But mm-hmm. then I was thinking um, even more so one thing that should be connected or united is a body. And so then it goes into the body of Christ and how if anything is taking a, a, an arm from the body, then something that would be able to be used for the purpose that the church has, mm-hmm. then anything possible would be would be done to get that out of the way so then the arm can be used to its full ability for what it was made for yeah and even just kind of following that that analogy um i think of uh, limbs that need to be amputated mm-hmm. right if if a limb is influenced so much by the outside environment it has to be cut off why because it's going to influence the rest of the body so the unity, the, the unity is, 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 in a way, it's to preserve the body itself, right? And so, um, regarding that that division, or regarding that that um, yeah that division, uh, I'm reminded of Romans eight verse seven, where uh, Paul writes God's peace, or he writes in verse seven and eight of Romans 8, because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so, and those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So the the unity that we seek with people outside of the faith is unity that we don't want, because at that point we are, we're compromising in some way, 
So I have a question. Um, because we are meant to live in the world, but be set apart from the world. It says that Jesus came to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother. And so it makes you think like, okay, well, if my family isn't, you know, saved or believing, I need to separate myself from them, which can make sense, you know, not to be stumbled. But at the same time, we are to live in the world and be the light in the world. So what does that really look like in our daily life when... You know, I can't just like not ever talk to my family again or, you know, like at work. It's not like you can't just can't interact with your boss or your coworkers because they're not believers. So what does it really look like or what does it really mean to separate ourselves from these people while also still trying to be a light in their life? Mm -hmm. Is it just like separating ourselves that they don't influence us? Yeah, this is where I get stuck. Mm -hmm. Dario, it looks like you have a few a few pages <laughs> bookmarked there. Uh, regarding the first question you asked a while ago. So. What, uh, which yeah, was? Kind of like what first 34 meant. Have at it. Let me see them. Okay. What do you have? Actually, we'll get back to you. It's okay. Yeah. Um, so table that for a sec. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so I'm itching to talk about this. <laughs> okay. Yeah, let me help him out, please. So basically... Um, the passage Matthew 10 verse 34 do not think that I came to bring peace on earth I did not come to bring peace but a sword for I have come to set a man against his father a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and so on it kind of it kind of like throws me off because when I first read I was like what the heck Mm -hmm. these are the things that non-believers will pick out and tell you and like oh what about this and you're like what I didn't even know that was in the bible Mm -hmm. So that kind of confused me, but thank goodness for cross-references. So the cross-reference for here brings me over to Luke 12, 49. It kind of says the same thing. I came to set fire on earth and how I wish it were already kindled, but but I have a baptism to be baptized with and how distressed I am till it is accomplished. Um, That's Jesus speaking. And then there's a few cross-references for those. One of them is in Micah. Micah 6. Sorry. Micah 7, 6? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Micah 7, 6. For son dishonors father, daughter rises against her mother, daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies are the men of his own household. So we can see that this is being foretold before Jesus is even here. Kind of like, like it's kind of like a warning like this was going to happen so maybe people are kind of freaking out about this too like is jesus really going to come and you know inflict this physical separation between us but then we go to the next cross references mm-hmm. which are john john seven forty three, which says so there was a division amongst the people because of him now some of them wanted to take him but no one laid hands on him so the key word in that in that section is because of him and that leads us back to the original matthew 10 and the context behind this whole chapter is jesus sending out the disciples and kind of telling them like go and spread the gospel go and share my name go and bring people to faith and then when he tells them this part if you read it out of context it seems kind of weird but the whole point is all right you guys are going to go out you're going to do ministry and there's going to be divisions. He's not saying that I will be divisions. He's saying that the essence of me will cause divisions. Mm-hmm. So people learning about the gospel or believing um, is just going to bring straight up like conflict in the household, especially like you were saying, the closest and like very intimate and like really strong part of life is like a family, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, the next cross reference is over john nine sixteen, and it says therefore some of the pharisees said this man is not from god because he does not keep the sabbath others said how can a man who is a sinner do so much signs and there was a division amongst them so because of what the pharisees were saying um kind of relating to jesus there became a division so this whole this whole question isn't 
why did Jesus say this? Oh, because he's going to bring physical division. It's because he's prepping them. Just so you guys know, when you go out and start speaking about me and telling the gospel to people, there will be, there will be division because of um, believers and non-believers um, just not being on the same page. And also, like you were saying, just hearing the name of Jesus brings conviction because of their sins and they don't want to they don't want to atone for them and, and just uh yeah it's crazy like imagine the world before jesus i know there was still division but just imagine everybody um was jewish and had the same beliefs and then one day jesus shows up and he's like hey guys so actually i'm the messiah not some crazy dude floating on a pegasus you know ready to crush the romans mm-hmm. and then one person's like oh that makes sense like now that i'm looking at it so now you have two conflicting ideas, but then when a bunch of people are doing it, it's like they're they're at each other, so it's causing division. And Jesus didn't really do anything other than saying, hey guys, here's the gospel, sharing peace. So um, yeah, final answer. Jesus isn't literally dividing families and yelling and being all crazy. He's He's sharing his word, and because of him and the, the message that he's sharing, people are being divided mm-hmm. i think of uh, like the division that it causes um like really comes from how one person compared to the next sees the world and so in a family you know you're raised in a way where you're the way your parents view the world is this is this one way and they I mean, it's it's commonly known that they teach their kids to believe the same things as them because they have these opinions based on the things that they know. And then the the barrier that gets put up when somebody believes something else than you do, I just think of like politically even, you know, you, you start to think that that person isn't even credible. Like if mm-hmm. you're so- citing your sources, you, you don't even see that person as credible based on their beliefs. And so... It's a really good point about how when we view when someone has a different opinion or belief system, like like especially when we talk about politics, we kind of like discredit everything else that they say. Like we just like, oh well you believe these things, so you must not know much. And like it doesn't matter what you're talking about, I just don't believe anything that comes out of your mouth now. Especially when those beliefs spur you to live in a certain way. Mm-hmm. And so with Jesus' teachings, it's so radically different from anything else that there's a there's a conviction that causes you to to not do certain things that that people are comfortable with doing, and then it's basically when nobody likes being told that what they're doing is wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so then it's like it it turns their own like feeling bad about themselves on the other person because it's like you've you've told me now that you know what i'm doing is bad so then you think i'm bad and then there's this like it's it's jesus who is he he himself who he who he presented himself to be him as a person and his message is divisive right especially as we consider the passage that i read about uh, him revealing the deeds done in the dark because he's the light of the world, right? You can't you can't be in darkness and be in the light at the same time, right? Like a portion of your body can be in a shadow, but at some point, like you're more influenced by the light than you are the darkness. And so, yes, the the it's not like Jesus didn't come to bring actual like physical division, but Jesus as a person, he himself is divisive, right? Because he himself uses divisive language. Hey, you cannot come to the Father unless you come through me. Like, he, his language is divisive anyway. And the whole message of the gospel is that following Christ will cost you a lot. It'll cost you everything. It will cost you your old way of life. You will have to forfeit your past sins. It will cost you a life of ease and living for this world. It will cost you old habits and old associations. It will cost you following your own agenda for your life. It will cost you your time, your treasure. It will cost you suffering for being identified with him as the apostles experienced. It will cost you opposition and persecution from the world. It may even cost you your life. But in the, an- in the end, 
we all and they all gained far more than they ever lost. To kind of bring it all in, uh, to answer Sarah's question, how in the world are we in the world but not of the world? And I think uh, a helpful passage is I don't remember exactly where it is. It's in one of the in one of John's letters, first, second, or third John, where he says, where he explains what the world is, and that is the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Right? If we abstain from those things, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, then we will be we will we will be able to stand in the world and be unstained from it because we're standing in the same way Jesus did because he himself, this is one of the things that I love about the gospel message or just about the message of the Bible in general is that God himself stood in human flesh, experienced everything that we could ever experience to the nth degree, right? The, The most pain anyone could ever suffer, the most family loss, that anyone could ever suffer the amount of grief that he experienced the amount of betrayal just imagine some your closest friends betraying you and not standing with you in your deepest moments of pain falling asleep right in the garden of gethsemane right peter's literally like they're literally falling asleep while he's in anguish just imagine the betrayal and the pain that he would that you would feel experiencing that and jesus experienced it all and being fully aware of everything that was going on. And so to answer your question like in a more practical way, we look to Jesus because he experienced all that first. And how did he respond to it? He kept going back to scripture. Right? When he's tempted in the wilderness by Satan himself, he quotes the three verses, the three passages out of the book of Deuteronomy. He he quotes those scriptures and it sustains him. And so what we have to do is we have to hide the word of God in our heart so that we may so that it it springs up out of us when we experience times of pressure or family division or fear of man of what they are going to think of us. And ultimately like we look to Jesus not for sustenance, not to sustain not just to to sustain us, but for us to remember our first love and our true and honest delight. Like I obey and I stand firm in the darkness of the age because Jesus is beautiful. Like I know I know him on such an intimate level that just reminding myself of his character and who he is and what he accomplished on my behalf, that gives me the strength to say no to certain things or to... uh or to simply speak when others won't, or to proclaim the good news that Jesus came to save that which is lost. Like I am able to do that because I know who he is. I know what he's done in my life and I don't love because I mustered it up from my own heart, but I love because he first loved me. I'm patient because he first showed patience to me. I show strength and fortitude and persistence in love because he showed all that to me first for thousands of years in the making. Just to kind of summarize your answer to Sarah's question on how to be um, in the world but not of the world. So it's kind of just like reiteration of what you said, but with symbolism. So when I thought of this, I thought of um, us being in the ocean, but in a boat, like a little wooden raft or something so we're technically in the ocean they're like in the world but we're not of the ocean we're not in the water not of the world um and the only way we could do that is because the boat was holding us up the only way we can be in the world but not of it is because of jesus so jesus is like representing that boat in a sense and when jesus proved his strength and power by walking on water kind of showing like i can be in the water but not of it um Mm -hmm. it was like amazing and then when when the disciples tried to walk on water they were like oh yeah like i got jesus with me i can do this too and then oh they fell you know Mm -hmm. nice try you got jesus but you're not jesus just stay in the boat so um so kind of like um yeah just kind of 
being in the world but not of the world, being in the boat but not of the water. And then another another answer to, to your question, like how do I minister to my family and um, but not be like consumed by them? I think a good one is, especially with family, it's by actions. Like, yes, you can preach um, with words and like messages and yeah, that's good for everyone. But the reason it's hardest to do that with family, like many people say, is because they know us from the inside. They know what we're like. They know our hypocrisies the most. So they see your actions. And they're like, oh, you see all this stuff, but you know, you're doing all this bad stuff too. We see your actions that nobody else sees. So by ministering to your family with your actions, that really speaks a lot. And again, bringing it back to the boat, like if you if you say all these cool messages and like t- try to minister to them through words only and kind of like glamour it up picture someone decorating the boat making it look all nice and looking the best but if it's not backed up by actions it's not built structurally correct the boat's going to have leaks and sink and fall and, and get messed up mm-hmm. um compared to someone who isn't really like putting the cherry on top in all their words and like making their speech is crazy or someone not decorating the boat just plain old wood but yet they're defending everything they do with their actions living by what they teach um showing that they are truly created new and and living with um, the power of jesus inside them kind of representing someone building the boat properly the way it's supposed to be done to float it's like uh yeah it doesn't look cool but you know it's doing its job the way it should be doing so mm-hmm. kind of prioritizing actions over words but uh not just totally forgetting the words that was really good thank you dario um and like as you're explaining all that i'm thinking about like my personal experiences around my family cuz sometimes especially at the beginning of like finding my faith I kind of felt like, oh man, like maybe I just like shouldn't even be around my family. Like they're so in sin and like, you know, some of them are less open to my belief. Like, um, and you know, they all go to, no, I go to church on Sunday and some of them are happy to like ask how church was though. They don't really want to hear the answer. And some of them like literally just don't want to even acknowledge it. And so there's been times where I've thought like, man, maybe I just like shouldn't be around them or. And so reading this passage today kind of made me think like, again, like, oh, like, you know, am I supposed to be separated from my family, like physically, literally, like, should I not be spending time around them? Um, But what you just said and, and this whole discussion today really brought that clarity back for me of, you know, we don't need to be physically separated. We're supposed to be living in the world. I still should be around my family but I should separate myself from them in the way that I act. Um, and so like, for instance, um, my family likes to drink a lot and I've been personally convicted to not drink anymore. And so when I go hang out with family, um, like I can just follow through with my actions of like, I'm not going to drink even though everyone else is drinking and that's okay. And I'm actually starting to notice, um, my family taking notice of that. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's been a couple times where they try to tempt me and like my mom will like make little comments here and there. Like she'll offer me a drink and I'll like say, Oh no, thank you. She goes, Oh, that's right. You don't drink anymore. Like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, almost kind of challenging you. Yeah. What you you think I won't, Um, and so I just want to say thank you for like kind of bringing that to light of how, how we can be living in the world or living around our family or our not saved friends and coworkers and whatnot. Um, but being separated from them in that we're separated in the way that we act, Mm -hmm. um, and in the way that we speak and behave. So thank you for that clarity it made me think of Paul because Mm -hmm. like, yes, it can be a humongous cost, but then Paul at at one point in one of his letters talks about how he, you know, basically had everything. Like he was uh, top of the line. Like, you know, he was persecuting Christians and he had all this, you know, he was honestly kind of popular for what he did. And, Mm -hmm. and he had, um, Status. status. <laughs> he had status within his family and like mm-hmm. all these things. And then one day, 
all of it flipped upside down. And so uh, it reminds me of at the end of one of his letters to, to Timothy, he's talking about how he's, he doesn't know if he's going to survive this, you know, this, um, this trial. And he's like, you know, but, but I know that Jesus won't have any problem recognizing me because I fought the good fight and I've ran the race as, as best I could have. And I lost all this stuff, but it's to gain so much more than I could have ever lost here on earth. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And it, it reminds me of, uh, Philippians three. Yeah. So Philippians three says, verse seven says, but whatever things were gained to me, remember how he lists his, uh, his accomplishments yeah. and his, uh, his inheritance as a Jewish rabbi, mm-hmm. you know, tribe of Benjamin, how he lists all those things. And he says in verse seven, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of, sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. And that it ultimately culminates to that knowledge knowledge of jesus and jesus knowing you or jesus knowing us and it's it's a lifelong pursuit and it's something that we get to enjoy and kind of you know grow into uh day by day with the people around us and so i just want to like finish with this wonderful poem uh i found in i think it was stephen lawson's book called it will cost you everything he ends the book with this wonderful poem where he says or where the poem says the die has been cast i have stepped over the line the decision has been made i am a disciple of jesus christ i will not look up let up slow down back away or be still i no longer need preeminence prosperity position promotions plaudits or popularity i do not have to be right the first top recognized praised regarded or rewarded i now live by faith love by patience and live by prayer and labor by power my pace is set my gate is fast my goal is heaven my road is narrow my way is rough my companions few my guide reliable my mission clear i cannot be bought compromised deterred lord away turn back diluted or delayed i will not flinch in the face of sacrifice i will not hesitate in the presence of adversity i will not negotiate at the table of the enemy i will not ponder at the pool of popularity nor meander in the maze of mediocrity i will not give up back up let up or shut up until i have prayed up preached up stored up and stayed up the cause of christ i am a disciple of jesus christ i must go until he returns give until i drop preach until all know and work until he comes and when he comes and when he comes to get his own he will have no trouble recognizing me my colors are flying high and they are clear for all to see i am a disciple of jesus christ i think the very thing that got me when i read that was one of the last lines where he says and when he comes to get his own he will have no trouble recognizing me like that is that's our motivation to know that the creator to know that the creator of the universe is not going to have trouble at all recognizing me because he knows me and i know him all right dario um so as we close out uh for anyone who doesn't believe in jesus and has been patient enough to listen to the entire episode uh what would you leave them with don't be um don't be shutting people out and being one-minded um that's just gonna lead to worse and worse growth don't go into everything with a super open heart where you're believing everything left and right but don't go into everything with a closed mind where you where you believe you're 100 percent sure and can't be wrong because um you'll be wrong and when you are it kind of sucks but you gotta up to it and um just come at everything with uh with patience and humility and if someone that is a believer is trying to witness to you um be patient kind of them i bet it's probably nerve-wracking for them so uh Mm -hmm. just listen to what they have to say ask questions and if they can't answer you then um then maybe try to try to look on the research your own but definitely definitely don't stop trying because 
you're missing out. Mm-hmm. The life with Jesus is so much better. Take it from someone who knows and, you know, just, I thought it was cool being a, being a freshman, sophomore in high school, you know, kind of living like the world being in and of the world. But, um, you know, it's only cool for that split second when people are, are validating you, making you like, oh yeah, you're cool, man. But no, that kind of sucks. I wouldn't want to go back to that. Mm-hmm. You know, living, um, living as a Christian is just so much better. So, um, whether you are listening to this with a closed mind or open, just, um, keep, uh, keep pursuing God and keep asking questions and he's waiting on the other end with open arms. Just, um, don't ever forget how much he loves you and, um, be patient and kind to your Christian friends that are trying to witness to you. It's scary. It's scary. And it's quite possibly the most important thing you will ever hear in your entire life that Jesus came to seek and save that which is lost and that you can have eternal life through your faith in him and his finished work. Thank you guys. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the don't knock it podcast. If you want to know more about us you can find us on instagram and twitter if you listen on spotify make sure you follow and click the bell icon to never miss a new episode if you listen on apple Podcasts, it would be awesome if you could rate and review the show if you haven't already thank you all for listening i'm your host chris ramirez grace and peace family